I'm stuck in the car today while the baby sleeps in the back seat. I say stuck, but I love these stretches of time. Two hours in a car these days does not require patience or imagination. Just a charged phone or laptop and suddenly you're in a small metal office with two hours of silence, a 360 view and a built-in retractable bed. Outside in the street, a man crosses diagonally in front of me. He's walking briskly and holding his phone out in front of him in that little chin balcony people make when they're using loudspeaker. System settings. It says what? No, really? What does it say? How do you... Okay. Dad, I'm going to have to go. Work's calling. Don't touch anything. I'll call you back. He squints at the phone, presses something. Hey, are you there already? Two minutes. I'd love one. Long black and maybe a donut or something? Legend. Thanks, mate. Bye. And he's off in a donutly direction, dialing a number that I hope belongs to his father, whose angst I can feel in my chest and my jaw as I wipe the dust from the dashboard with my hand. The new couple from number 100 walks towards me. They're discussing something as she readies her keys for the car next to me, a Ford Laser with a marriage equality bumper sticker and a little ironic dancing Jesus on the dashboard. I'm really starting to think my own brother is some kind of narcissist. She's saying to him. You know, like, I think he is. I think he actually fits the profile. What profile? He says. I mean, what is a narcissist exactly? A narcissist. He says. You don't know what... Well, I mean, obviously, yes, but, like, does it just mean you love yourself? Because I don't see what... No. So, I read this book about it. It's this whole psychological thing, right? She has swivelled towards him now to explain. They're right in front of my car, maybe two metres away, paused as she describes narcissistic personality disorder. She's really into it. Hand gestures, sentences running together. He's looking at her with a half smile. She stops. What? She says. You don't think he fits that description? No. Sorry, yes, I do. Uh, Or actually, I don't. Or... Actually, I wasn't really doing the best job of listening. He says. Why? She says. What? She says, suspicious of something. A grin on his face shifts her. Ugh. She says, suddenly floppy. Did I do the thing? You totally did the thing. I am sure I didn't do the thing. It's just... Honestly, I think it might be the cutest thing I've ever seen. I didn't feel like I did anything. Yeah, well, you're just going to have to trust me. This is a strong area of interest for me. And she turns, and her slight self-consciousness causes her to rest the fingertips of one hand on the bonnet of my car, a little steeple whitening from the tips of her fingers. He steps towards her. Remind me why you're leaving, exactly. He leans forward then, moving them both back against the car. Horrified, I feel the brakes resist their weight. Oh, wow. Oh, dear. What is the etiquette here? Surely I should disclose my proximity to them. But how? Do I beep the horn? Open and close the door? To do so would be to explode this small amount of intimacy into a mutually humiliating performance of apologies. Plus, I'm already implicated. Why didn't I make a noise earlier? Why have I silently allowed them to engage in what is now, I can tell despite studiously looking at my phone, a passionate, bordering on sexy, bordering on parental guidance recommended kiss right on the bonnet of my car. The weight on the car shifts again. I hear him murmur something to her, but she straightens up, still in his embrace. I freeze. Have they noticed me? But no, 
She stands back from him, hands on his shoulders in a gesture of affectionate decisiveness. I am going to go. You are going to get that essay written. He emits a small noise and adjusts the collar of her shirt. Doesn't sound like my absolute favourite plan. He says. Can you at least bring me home a prize? He says. I'm begging them not to notice me. She smiles. From the big smoke? A special prize for essay writing? I'll see what I can do. She gets settled into the Ford laser and he hangs languidly over her open door his arms in a simian dangle, watching her perform the little rituals of car readiness until she has literally started the engine. He drags himself up then, eyes off now in the distance, and flicks the door closed absently before the car pulls away. He chews the side of his fingernail and peers at a magpie balanced on the telephone wire, his distracted attention focused into a squinting frown. At the end of the street, she beeps her horn and he has snapped from his reverie, throwing his arm in the air once more. She disappears. Right. He says, just over a metre from me now, and he clasps his hands into a little swan dive, pointed towards his house. Off he goes, I think. Off he goes. But then no. He swivels back to peer into the empty letterbox, looks up and sees me. Stops, frozen head tilts to one side in alarm. I, at this point, by the way, am delivering the performance of a lifetime in the role of person who has completely, incredibly, just arrived in a car while your back was turned, but you somehow didn't notice it. A pantomime of arrival gestures, getting my keys in order like a fumbling jailer, putting my bag, that is already on my seat, back onto my seat. I'm actually whispering lines to myself for his benefit. Oh, there they are. Now, where's my phone? He turns, uncertainly, and heads inside. I relax into my seat, unsettled by the fraudulent nature of my only meaningful interaction with the outside world. The magpie above us lifts its throat in the sun and telegraphs a bossy warble to the skies. I feel like it's judging me. Shut up, please, I tell it. And this time I look at my phone for real. When I wake again, it is in alarm. A face looms at me from my window. A man in a beanie and sunglasses. Christ, I stammer, fumbling for keys. He's gesturing at me, this man. He's pointing down, window, down. The baby stirs behind me. He grabs his beanie with one hand and, like a magician revealing a dove, he releases a cocky's crest of white hair from beneath it. Thought she was dead. Alan, I say, relief flooding through me. It's Alan. Oh, thank goodness. It's Alan. Alan from two doors down. Alan, whom I don't recognise without his hat off, semi-naked, watering his garden and shouting non-sequiturs to passing strangers. Saw you here? He shouts as I open the door towards him. Then I saw the baby. Thought you was dead. Thought the baby. Thought you was... You okay? And I realise how anxious he is, this man who, who doesn't really know me, but who came to see that I was okay. 
His hands are shaking. His eyes keep darting back to the baby and I say, I'm so sorry, Alan. I gave you a shock. And I put my hand on his shoulder and I tell him that we are okay, that the windows on the other side are open, that I was just having a nap. I reach around and unload the car, lift the waking baby out, blinking into the sun. All the while talking to Alan, my would-be rescuer, a man for whom a trip beyond his front fence is an unnecessary emotional strain, but whose mind had leapt to fatalistic conclusions, and I realise that his version of solitary and my version of solitary are quite, quite different. Alan and I talk for a while after that, about when he was a kid in this very street, running up and down it with the neighbourhood kids and his brother. His brother still visits, he tells me. He's 85 this week, he says, big grin on his face. He's proud of his vintage, is Alan. We talk about his brother. Worked in construction, he tells me, on all kinds of projects back in the day. People used to die on the job, you know, he tells me. People used to die going to work on these buildings. Bad business. And he tells me a convoluted story that I miss a few key strands of, something to do with his brother knowing a foreman who is charged with manslaughter for scrimping on safety gear. Do you get many visitors these days, Alan? I ask him. I have to ask him twice on account of his hearing. My brother comes. My niece sometimes. A couple of ladies from the nursing, what have you. They visit once a fortnight. They do, do they? Yes. Takes me blood pressure. Have a cup of tea. Nice ladies. Used to be one for a while, Maureen. She was nice. Moved to Adelaide for her husband's work day. And I realise, as Alan is talking, that I've seen these women returning to their little district nursing hatchback, open-faced and happy, with big practical bags and shared smiles. I've seen the postie too, remounting his bike after a longer than necessary pause at Ellen's. And I know it's pathetic to be grateful for these small remnants of a social system that supports people who are 80 and alone and who talk to themselves in their front yards. But I am grateful. And I'm grateful for Alan too, who tells me several times. Thought you was dead back there. Didn't see the windows open. As I walk back to the house and Alan heads slowly back to his own, it dawns on me that there is a reason someone might think to look inside a parked car, and that is that they saw the car park in the first place. Oh God, I say aloud to myself in the street. What if he was watching from his window the whole time? What if he saw me park the car? What if he saw the guy on the phone and the couple from number 100? And what if he wondered quite fairly and reasonably, why isn't she getting out of the car? Well, of course he would come closer. And of course, when he got closer and found me and my baby unconscious in the car, of course he would think we were dead. Poor Alan, I say to the baby. And really, for someone who has spent the last two hours in a stationary car with only an infant for company, I feel like it is definitely time to go inside and leave everybody well alone. Mm -hmm.